Hello and welcome to Building Insights, brought to you in association with Samsung Climate Solutions, who are committed to offering energy efficient solutions, including innovative cooling, heating, domestic hot water, refrigeration and smart things connectivity. I'm James Parker, Managing Editor at Architects Datafile. This episode of Building Insights, we are joined again by Charlie Luxton, who is well known as an architectural designer and presenter of design shows, including Building the Dream and Homes by the Sea. He's the ideal brand ambassador for Samsung Climate Solutions, being passionate about driving forward the agenda for low carbon design in his own practice, including eco heating, such as heat pumps, He's going to look at how low carbon homes won't need to be less livable and in fact could be more comfortable and better places to live in. Hi Charlie, how are you? Hi James, I'm good. Can I just stop you right there? Could be more comfortable, are more comfortable. Let's just get that straight off the bat right in there. Low energy houses are more comfortable than heat intensive houses. That's just fact okay so so i just want to jump in because there's a lot of nonsense talked about this that's a fact they will by necessity become more comfortable yes i I mean i say this is quite interesting it's one of the big things that when we're talking to our clients and we're talking about sustainability you know and you're asking them to spend a little bit five percent maybe ten percent more on on driving down energy costs and actually part of that is say well you're you're helping the planet you know the big e stuff as um but equally actually it's just more comfortable it's like so it's about the little it's about where you live because if you sit in a house that is losing lots of heat you get lots of movement of energy effectively you get lots of movement of air you get you get convection currents being set up from cold surfaces to hot surfaces um if you live in a house that is not l- losing energy you know normally triple glazing etc you don't get those that energy flux if you like that movement of energy which effectively makes you uncomfortable and we know that that buildings that are draft free and don't have convection currents you're comfortable at 19 degrees the average person whereas in a building where there are some drafts and convection even just from double glazing for example that's 21 degrees so less energy more comfortable less sort of movement of air calm still better place to live and i suppose perversely we're used to that lack of equilibrium at the moment so it might just be readjusting to something much nicer totally totally when you when people first go into sort of passive or near passive houses there is often a comment you get that there's almost like an absence of feeling do you know what i mean because it's very even and calm and it is i'll be absolutely honest people can find that a little unnerving but very quickly you get incredibly used to it is it a myth charlie that they can't have Openable windows. That's a really interesting one too, um, because there is an assumption that that's the thing. And you talk to clients, and they're like, "Oh, you talk to people, especially when we're designing houses for them. They're like, I have to sleep with the window open.' And and, and you know, what, what are we going to do? It's like, well, look, if you want to open the window, open the window. You'll just use more energy. But part of the reason you want to open the window normally in a house is the internal air quality isn't very good. Now that might be that there is moisture, humidity. It might be that there's high levels of CO two. The fact is you're probably not getting enough ventilation rates through the building, even with the drafty windows and and what have you. When you get to very low energy housing, you have ventilation systems, mechanical heat recovery ventilation normally. 
And that means that you get higher levels of air movement, sort of three or four times the levels of air change. And you suddenly don't want to open the windows because your body isn't going, I need to open the windows. You know, I want to drop the CO2. I want to drop the humidity. That desire changes. Having said that, you know, when it comes to summer, just open all the windows and doors. You know, and actually what we're doing is putting in smart house systems and they have little sensors on the windows and doors. So if you open more than three or four doors and they're open for more than half an hour, the MVHR just kicks right down and the heating kicks right down. When you're in a well-designed house, they shouldn't overheat because all the calculations are being done. They shouldn't get cold. They should have good air quality internally. You can set that temperature within reason of being 18, 19, 20, 21, certainly a winter. In summer, you might need to nighttime vent to cool and purge and drop heat. You can do what you like. They're not these kind of sacred items that have to be desperately carefully managed. What they do need to be is very carefully designed. They need to be very carefully built. But once they're built, they're robust and they work really well. You can put CO2 monitoring in your air handling system, and then that picks up on elevated levels of CO2 and ups the ventilation. And we have that in in, in quite a few projects, and certainly in our office we have it. I mean, I put it in there for a very simple reason, that... If CO2 levels are high, you're you're a bit groggy, you don't function as well, you're, you know, you're not as quick, you're not as alert. And so, you know, an office is a tool for making people work as efficiently as possible. So the idea that we could keep them with really good ventilation levels and oxygen is great. In summer, we have the doors open in the office because we're in a field. That's not a problem. So take that, put it in the nonsense bag and kick it into touch. You can open the windows. You can get a bit obsessed with figures, you know, form factor and passive house. And, you know, it can start to push you into maybe getting a bit uh, fundamentalist about all this. And you need to kind of let it go a bit, maybe. I think a lot of people have been so focused on, you know, achieving passive or whatever the certification might be that they forget that buildings are meant to inspire you and make you happy and joyful. And, and that's really probably their first function. We've underestimated the value of that. But my sense is with good careful design there is no reason that following passive principles should lead to bland poor architecture and they don't have to just be a machine that creates electricity for the grid we're asking our buildings to do more and more stuff right which means more and more design input which means argue you know actually it does mean more investment up front in fees and consultants and tech but then the running costs are so low much lower for 50 100 150 years that it's an incredible return on investment towards the future home standard is there a way of making these these really low energy houses avoiding overheating without using high-tech ventilation they're not they're not mutually exclusive you know you can have passively as in passively ventilated i no no fans and pumps um houses perfectly well the the, the part oh really is 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 almost nothing to do with the ventilation system because you can't you shouldn't rely on an mvhr to cool your house uh, it just doesn't do enough now, you can even put some comfort chilling in that. Fundamentally, it's about getting the openings, the orientation, the overhangs correct and having very robust cross-ventilation and night purging. So at night, you can securely open a window here and a window there in a, in a real hot spell, which we are getting more and more of, and dump the heat that's built up over the day and chill the structure and everything in the house down overnight. There's no reason that MVHR has to be there. I... I and, uh, you know, and this is one of the interesting things about air source heat pumps and ground floor, underfloor heating loops. And if you have MVHR, again, with air source heat pumps and heater matrix, i.e. Um, putting heat and cool into airflow, people get very twitchy about air source heat pump being used as a cooling technique. I personally am pretty relaxed about it if you have PV 
and you've really designed to minimize overheating. Now, the issue becomes if you're designing buildings that are going to overheat without the cooling, and then you have to use the cooling. Uh, it, and that's that's a problem. But I think as long as you design buildings really carefully uh, to stop overheating, which part O brilliantly you know, is tackling, uh, um, then I don't see a problem with a little bit of bit of air source heat pump uh, cooling going on personally. If I was running the country, heaven forbid, James, I think the first thing I would introduce is air tightness of like one and a half to next year and then ratcheting down. Um, and the reason I do that is because it is very hard to make an airtight building badly. It's like you need a level of control on site and care and attention that means that you're likely to then get good insulation installation, good controls, much better on-site supervision. And the great thing about an, an air pressure test, you can't lie. You know what I mean? Literally, you, the, you know, the, the, the person coming testing, they put the fan in, they pump it. You can't fudge it. It's not like code for sustainable homes used to be where they'd reduce the insulation and put in an allotment that no one really wanted the second thing that I do really like about part O is that it makes a level of analysis go on prior to construction that, that has been missing. I'd like to see full thermal modeling for all housing, uh, you know, to PHPP or similar. And there are other really good ones out there levels. OK, and and then that, that's because that's what's really good. The other thing I'd introduce if I was Michael Gove, uh, it would be um, every sort of number of houses on any large scale house building site you would choose randomly choose examples and you would you would you would measure all of the energy inputs and temperature internally and work out the actual performance energy if you actually say you put this much energy in the house to achieve this levels of temperature we can work out the performance of that building does it perform as well as we designed and one of the biggest issues we've got in house but in all of architecture is a performance gap so we design a building to use x amount of energy and typically they use twice that all buildings should have a full thermal model made. So developer developer has model house A and model house B and model house C, and there should be a full thermal model for A, B, and C for every single building that you're producing. Oh, and even I think it should be a minimum. Every house should have it done. Thermal improvements, which has been calculated, would have cost about, I think, about 16 billion. And they reckon actually to retrofit those would be more like 30, 40 billion. So this is the problem that not getting it right is so expensive to retrofit. We have to make people get it right when they're building. There has to be a bit of a stick approach now um, without trying to alienate everybody. Um, but the thing is, it's not rocket science, is it? A lot of these houses are relatively similar. Do you know how much it costs us to get a house thermally, PHPP, a small little house thermally model, about 800 quid? Not much more than a full structural survey. It's not very expensive. I have no idea why it isn't mandated, but, you know, I'm not in charge. There's a lot of things I don't understand you check everything that is going to be built in a computer before you build it. And it's a lot cheaper to do that than to build it and go, oh, it's a bit dark and crap in this corridor. It is not a magic bullet unless you then use it to iterate your design work. Actually, it just makes designers understand what they're doing in a way that, you know, they haven't yet. And it might help you get to a place where you, you might be able to, with shading, avoid the need for MVHR. Yep. Yeah, we do a lot of that. We do a lot of external louvers. And the reason we do a lot of external louvers is because this is quite a difficult country to deal with overheating. And the reason for that is that we are very far north for our temperature. 
So the sun has an enormous change in angle from summer to winter, and it's very low. Shading with brucellae is quite difficult because it, it, the sun's not that high, so they get really quite long. 1.4 meters is a good depth of shading. That's quite a bit of structure to stick on your building. You're always balancing like architecture and beauty and, and aesthetic and experience with energy. Sometimes that view is worth it, and the architecture is worth it. And I think that's really... The point, coming right back to your original question, you don't have to compromise on the, the, the experience of the architecture because it's low energy. It's just another part of the balancing act that, that every project faces. In some cases, we're looking at different looking buildings, right? In terms of glazing on the south face, etc. There might be a there might be a bit of a readjustment for planning authorities. Yeah, I mean there is a there is a potentially slight readjustment for planning authorities, you know, hips and Gables and, and 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 complicated roof structures and complicated forms are not great from an energy perspective. Animals that live in the Arctic are like seals and penguins, round things, <laughs> because that's the best way to keep in heat. You have a lower surface to volume area ratio. Animals that live in the tropics are long and thin, so they can dissipate heat. So we want to make our houses relatively compact compared to the surface area because they lose less heat. On top of that, the skin of the building is the most expensive part of the building, you know, the finish, the bricks. So actually just trying to rationalize the form of buildings makes a lot of sense from a cost, carbon and energy use perspective. Now, that doesn't mean you have to end up with bland boxes. You can do a lot with material color, material finishes and detailing to lift that back to having an architectural beauty. But I would also say that just because a building has got a load of gables and hips and weird outriggers and bits sticking out here and there and outshots and everything doesn't necessarily make it beautiful. Often they just look like a poor copy of a really beautiful old house. I think the look of buildings will slightly shift. Planning is totally aware of that and they know it. The planning policy is already very clear that buildings do low energy buildings do not have to look like traditional buildings because they're, they're different. I think much of the response is or the, the reason we haven't changed is because people tend to go, well, that looks like a normal house. I'll go with that. Everything has a role, right? Nothing should be off the table. It's about understanding why and where you use materials and windows and all of that. It's just, you know, it's just really interesting when you get into the carbon modeling side of these things. Like, you know, what are the carbon decisions intensity for so embodied energy, the carbon it makes to make the stuff you make the building from before you even get to the running costs. And it just makes you think, actually, we don't, we could do a bit less of that. heat pumps how can they be integrated into designs sort of more subtly now as they're getting a bit more sort of slim and attractive and uh no i think i think the the, the fact was back in the day there was noise associated with them and so you needed to just be mindful of that the modern ones are not noisy really i mean they're the sound they're, they're really not they're the sound the sound of a fridge you really don't have to massively think about it the only thing you have to think about really now is proximity of the heat pump to the kind of the energy sources inside trying to get that close is is really good uh, from from a, from an efficiency perspective when you get these buildings down to low energy lower much lower energy sources the heat pumps can just deal with the energy demand they've got so easily you can have a small heat pump you know it can produce the energy you need you can you can run it when the, the electricity is cheap and warm up for fabric and you know you can even tie in batteries so that when the energy is really expensive you can be using some of the battery power to run the heat pumps when it's very cold you know it, it's just it's sort of a game changer when you're relying on 
electricity for your heat source, not gas or oil, because with PV, with batteries, with grid pricing, you can just have a really flexible, intelligent way of heating that that minimizes impact. The new generation of all the heat pumps are fantastic. Uh, you know, the new Samsung one is remarkably quiet. I really think we should be embracing it. I know the government is talking about kicking it down the line. They've sort of almost left it too late for themselves. So they kind of almost had no choice but to slightly soften that, that deadline, the 2025. They've, they've upped the um, the grant, haven't they, by two and a half grand? I'm, I'm, I'm very sceptical about grants as a way of solving these issues, personally. I think they're, they're, I think you need to actually change the energy input prices and then change the way mortgages work. I think there should be a more systemic approach to it rather than grant application, because that can lead to some very weird bulges in the market. We saw that with PV, for example. You know, I'd much rather see them focus on EPC and council tax and then supporting people with lending them money. Uh, you know, I think there's other levers I'd be looking to use if I was, if I were Michael Gove, heaven forbid. To my mind, there should be no gas boilers going into any new houses whatsoever because they can so easily be on air source heat pumps with almost no impact. The older buildings are much more difficult. And that's that's where we should be actually focusing the longer term support and help. It's quite interesting. I went up and visited a, a little housing estate, a little, I mean, 20, 30 houses, you know, not a huge one, all on air source heat pump. And this it was a medium-sized developer. And they, you know, they really took seriously the onboarding, is a phrase I heard recently, the onboarding, if you like, of people to their heat pumps, of, of training them so that they could understand how to use them. You know, don't just turn the heat up to 26 because it's warm, because that just won't do anything. <laughs> Just just change your heating graph curves to be when you want to be in, but a bit before you get in and, and critically get the, get the thing maintained, get, get a service. You know, obviously, if there isn't a developer and someone's doing a self-build, then yeah, absolutely. The architect or the services provider, you know, installer should all work together to inform people how to get the most out of their system um, because these things need to be used intelligently i mean not radically different but just little things you know just little simple things uh, of not turning the heats on and off on and off on and off like letting it be more a gentle curve heat over longer slightly longer periods at less intensity because flow rates are lower so you can't dump you know hundreds of joules of energy into the floor slab you want to be trickling it in slowly over time and actually that's kind of more efficient because as soon as you concentrate high levels of temperature you get a big temperature differential between let's say the water going to the underfloor heating in the, the world and you get greater heat loss because your, your your temperature difference is bigger. So the lower flow uses less energy. It just needs to run for a bit longer to get the same amount of energy in, but you get less wastage. You can use more traditional radiators. Either they need to be slightly upsized or you need to do some insulation work to reduce the demand and stay with the same radiators. And, and certainly in low energy housing, they're, 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 they're the same size, if not smaller than radiators in less you know, in, in higher energy demand housing. So there's, there's almost no change if you get the demand down, you know, and, and actually in a lot of our projects, we don't even put radiators upstairs. We just have underfloor heating on the ground floor, a few towel rails, job done. I mean, in fact, with really good fabric, you shouldn't need any heating whatsoever, but that, but that, you know, that is hard to achieve that, you know, that, that, that is, that is, you know, doable, but hard. What the future host standard is saying is that we are going to have low flow temperature heat sources. And at the moment, and for the foreseeable future, the best way to do that is a heat pump. 
someone might invent something incredible next year that means that we all change everything. But at the moment, I can't see hydrogen being viable for quite a long time. Uh, and I can't see much else out there, certainly for existing houses, for new houses, we'll see. How are you seeing smart tech being used in new build? You know, the more data you've got from the environment you're trying to heat. Um, so, for example, just very crudely, if every room has got a, a, th- a thermostat and a humidistat and a CO2 monitor, and it's all connected through to a system that, you, you know, you can change ventilation, you can change the heating really subtly, room by room, moment by moment. You know, if you've got if you've got monitors that when someone walks into a room, you know someone's in the room so you can up the heating levels because you know someone's going in there or for example if someone opens the windows the windows are wide open turn the heating down in that room you know that that that's just from a heating side and then when you start tying in your your uh, washing machines your fridge freezers your um your dishwashers and you're actually tied into what the grid is doing and when the lowest carbon energy is being produced on the grid or you're using a battery and you're getting the energy off the grid and storing it and using it you can just start being efficient now you could do that by spending the day walking around checking everything and turning them on and off and turning them on and off but most people don't want to do that some sort of eco nerds are doing that and i'm a bit a bit like that with my car charging and all of that stuff actually if you can automate that you can introduce those savings and that intelligent way of of operating or using energy to everybody then the great thing about that is it means that we can limit the peaks the peaks and troughs in the grid, and therefore we don't have to build as much grid, which is the other elephant in the room, uh, which is we don't have the grid capacity for all of this stuff. Do we have to accept that mainstream homes will cost a lot more to build with a really robust fabric? No, because I don't recognise the cost uplift. I mean, I, I, you know, there's, there's a range of figures. And some people say 2%, some people say 5%. Okay, let's say let's you know some people say eight percent, but let's say it's around four or five percent. Okay, I can recognise that as a as a figure. If you're thinking about it cleverly and you're systematising the way you do these things, I, I think you're looking at I I think four or five is a reasonable guess. Okay, so a standard family home, what do you reckon? Quarter of a million quid to build a standard family home. So you're talking about twelve grand extra to build the house. So it's probably going to take about six four or five six years to pay that off so so you're actually talking about twelve thousand quid extra now you're not spending let's say a thousand quid a year on energy bills because of that it doesn't take einstein to go well all that needs to happen is the mortgage companies need to lend you a little bit more money because you are not spending all that money out on energy every year you have more capacity to pay for the slightly better quality home House prices are dropping, so presumably better fabric will be a, a differentiator if, you, if your buyers are getting greener. It's not an easy thing to do, build a house. It's, it's really not. There's always teething problems. But if you want to open up that market and get more people interested, you know that's exactly how I'd be doing it. Because people are going to be going, I have to spend a lot of money getting my existing house up to you know standard to get it low energy and comfortable and all the benefits we discussed earlier. A lot of money, and it's not easy. But I could just sell it before everyone's realised that, and buy a new low energy one, because that's going to make that's going to be really comfortable and make me energy secure as we get these energy fluctuations that are 
uh, coming down the line. You know, they're not going to stop now. Then you talk about orientation of like facing things south, right? What's really interesting is when you go and talk to people, and we've done community consultation designed some affordable housing, carbon neutral, passive energy in the village. And when you go and actually work with the people who are going to live in these buildings and you say, would you mind like having a parking yard where all of the cars are not everywhere? And they're like, oh, what? And I just can drive up and drop my stuff off and park a bit. Yeah, that seems all right. And would you mind having a slightly smaller garden and a bigger shared area that's got like proper space and somewhere you, where you can all congregate? And yeah, yeah, that, I, that sounds that sounds nice as well. So I think it is going to make them change what they do. Yes. So actually, there's a real opportunity here. I think it's really exciting. I think the fact that we are going to challenge what houses look like, how they're made, how they're orientated, how they're laid out and how we make places because of the low energy agenda and because of sustainability. And we've got massive, massive issues with biodiversity loss. You know, houses could become a solution to these problems. You know, housing estates could be a solution to biodiversity loss. They could be a solution to the energy issue. They could be little power stations uh, and they could become large stores of carbon if we use lots of wood fiber and we plant that and we get really sensible about how we're planting and processing wood fiber into buildings and locking that carbon up in structure. So I'm genuinely like hugely excited about the positive role that housing could play going forward. And we just need legislation and we need consumers and we need the house builders to all understand the importance of what they're doing. Brilliant. Many thanks, Charlie. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers.